So if we can get that scripture up, thank you. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it myself because I'm going to start and stop a lot. I've noticed that it's worked pretty well um, as far as trying to read it all together. It takes a little bit longer and it just uh, I will, I'll say stop in the middle of it and that's just it's not good. So all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them, for from, the time, from time to time, those who had lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So there we see how they were all on the same page. They all had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the love aspect that Greg talked about last week, that they all wanted to have the same. And they would help each other out. And I think that we're really good at that at this church. We're really good about helping each other out. When we find out somebody has a need, we're really good about, as a congregation, coming together. We support all the missions. We support all the things. So we do really, really well at that. And so I really appreciate how we do that. And so Barnabas, he said, hey, they need more? I'm going to give more. So he brought it. He laid it all at the apostles' feet. So we'll go on to Acts 5.1, and we'll see how this changes. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So already we're establishing that this was a joint effort. They brought, Ananias was the male. He, brings, he says, okay, we're going to sell this. And his wife goes, okay, let's sell it. That's great. But I'm going to keep some of the money. And so she says, okay. That sounds good to me. Let's keep a little bit for ourselves. And so they go, and they bring it, okay? And they lay it at the apostles' feet. So right there, they're doing the same thing Barnabas did. And what the problem is, is the fact that people are assuming they brought all of it. They brought every portion of it, okay? So that's the setup to watch what happens here. Then Peter said, or let's go to, yeah, then Peter said, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. So there, it's showing that it's voluntary. Not everybody had to bring the money forward. They didn't have to do it. But they came in with the idea that, hey, we're going to show everybody that we're bringing all of it. We're going to bring 100% and put it at the apostles' feet. They could have come in and said, hey, we sold some land, and, you know, we've decided here's some money we'd like to give, but we're not going to give the whole thing. And so that was the part where they lied. It's not said that flat out this is, you know, they didn't say, oh, we kept a part. But also, the other part about it in there is... This refers to Joshua 7, 10 through 12. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you, what you are doing, uh, why are you, I'm sorry, what are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. 
They have taken some of the devoted things they, they have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So this is after they pilfer a place and they're not supposed to take any of the loot. And they take it. And so they, they go ahead and they take some things and, and that's when God goes, nah, this isn't what I told you to do. And so at this point, they die. So when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. So this is God's judgment right now. He didn't give the way he was told to give. He, he lied to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's telling you to do something and you go, eh, I'll do part of it, or I'll kind of do it, or I don't really want to do it. That's what we're seeing here. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. So, that was, uh, this is when we start talking about giving and different things and the big stewardship drive and all this stuff. And we're not going to go down that road too long today, but we are going to go down that road eventually. Just right, not right now. I was listening to a commentary um, sermon on this, and this is when the pastor said, okay, so right now, this is when we're going to send the plates around again and see if you need to readjust what you just put in the plate. So, <laughs> so if you feel they're still back there. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, but the fear and awe, they fell in fear because they didn't know, what, they're like, what's going on? And the part that people struggle with in this is, they go, okay, wait a minute. I've been given more grace than what they were given because I might be guilty of the same kind of sins. And that struggles. That's a struggle for us. Why am I worthy of still being alive if he struck these people dead for not doing what he told them to do? And that's a struggle that we deal with on a regular basis. You know, and then sometimes we get into that I'm not worthy stage. Well, I can't receive the resurrection like we did this morning because I'm not worthy because I didn't up here uphold. But we all know we're sinners. And we just have to repent, and we have to forgive, and we have to ask to turn a 180 in our lives and turn away from it. So I am going to go down the little rabbit trail of the stewardship drive this morning just because our stewardship. Community church right now, we're behind on our giving. Just a little bit, about 10%, but that's uh, significant. Now, granted, I did some research, and after a pastor leaves, typically it's 20% is taken is not given, which makes me ask the question, because I like to analyze things, are you giving to the pastor or are you giving to God's kingdom? That's my question. I've heard people say, I want to know where the church is going before I give any money to it. You're not giving to this building. You're giving to him. And then you'll be blessed. That's how it works. So don't worry about if Steve Morehouse isn't here or the new pastor, or what the new pastor is going to be, or who it's going to be, or any of those things. I want you to give because you're convicted in your heart with the right reason to give. And it doesn't matter what these four walls are. You guys do a really good job of supporting ministries and each other and those things. But we are down. And we'll, it's not a big deal. We've been blessed through the years, and God always comes through but I don't want you to not receive what God is wanting to give you because you've changed your attitude on when to give or who you give to. So give in the right reason. 
Enough on that, though. I don't want to go down that road today. So, moving on to the next part. I lost my pages already. That's not good. Oh, there we go. You know, we're, we're making an agreement with God when we do a pledge card or we say that we're going to give or we're going to be faithful. We're not doing it with man. You know, one, one year, I'll tell you a quick little story. My sister and I went out for breakfast. It was during Lent. She decides that she wants to give up flour. Okay, I don't know how you give up flour in this world, but she wanted to give up flour, so she gave up flour. And we're sitting at a breakfast place, and she goes, I think I'm going to order the quiche. I'm like, I think there's flour. And she goes, well, just don't tell anybody. It isn't, I don't care if she eats flour. It's not the agreement I made with her. She's, you know, I'm like, okay, you're missing the point. You made this agreement with God for Lent. If you're going to follow that, if you're going to give something up for Lent, it's between you and God. It doesn't have to do with it who is, you know, you're impressing, you know. That's what got, that's what got Ananias and Sapphira into trouble. So, going on, then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him, okay. About three hours later, his wife comes in, not knowing what had happened to him, but Peter asked him, tell me, is this the price you, Ananias, you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And remember, she knew that they had held some back. Guess what her fate's going to be. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At the, that moment, she fell dead, and at his feet at his feet, and died. Um, Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So, that is another judgment. And he knew. So we have to also remember that that we are able to not submit to man. She submitted to her husband, which we're supposed to do. You know, that's the relationship thing, but not into sin. Okay? We'll get to that in Acts 5, where, where the apostles are out teaching. We'll get there in just a little bit on the, on the example of why we are to not do that. Okay, going on to 5.12, the next section, this is on signs and wonders. So the apostles formed many, uh, performed many miracles, miraculous signs, and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, one, uh, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them, on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sanhedrin, were filled with jealousy. Um, let's see. Yeah. So, we have the, them going out and they're healing. They're not healing by their own power, they're healing through the Holy Spirit. And it talks about Peter's shadow falling on them and they were healed. Does this remind you of touching the hem of Jesus' robe when the lady that was bleeding for 12 years or a multitude of years, and she instantly was healed because of her faith? They brought these people out and put them on cots. 
They weren't sick. They didn't, I mean, they didn't have colds. They had to lay down. They couldn't stand. They, they were put out, and they were still healed because they had faith that they would be healed. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to have faith. Also, there's a section in Acts 19. Eventually, we'll get there during the study. Paul's clothes that he wore and the handkerchief that he touched, if people would touch that, it would heal them also. Again, the Holy Spirit healing. And then Mark 11, 23-26. Uh, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourselves into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that they, what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying... If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So, that we talk, Mark and I, Steelbinder and I were talking this morning about miracles. We don't see them as much, in, especially in America. A lot of times in third world countries we see them. I don't know why, but mostly because they rely on them and they believe in them and they don't have that doubt. You know, I mean, I've, I believe in all the signs. I believe in all the giftings. I don't always have them, you know. I've laid hands on people to heal them, but at the same time I'm going, well, God, if you feel like it, that ain't going to work. You've got to believe it 100%. I've never had, I've asked mountains to leave, but I've had, people, I've had people who have prayed, when I was in seminary in Colorado Springs, I had a woman who prayed that it would stop raining, and in five minutes it was done raining, and it's like, wait a minute, it's raining all around us, but it's not raining right here. And she believed it 100%. So it still does happen. It's that we think that we don't always think 100% that it's going to happen. So miracles do still happen. I'm going really fast today, sorry. And then we're going to move on to um, the last section. And this is where the apostles go and teach. And this is where it takes a lot of bravery. So uh, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of, his, of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts. So this is in Jerusalem, at temple. People are going to morning prayer. So they're going to go witness to the Jews as they're going to morning prayer. That's why it's significant that they went at the very daybreak. So they're out teaching again as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the door, but when he opened them, we found no one inside. This is not good. You know, you think, okay, I'm going to go down, I'm going to get these guys, I'm going to bring them to court. That's basically what they're doing. We're bringing them to court. All of a sudden they go and there's, no, there's nobody inside. That guard is now starting to fear for his life, pretty much. Because he was, the only job he had all night was to sit there and make sure they didn't get out. And the other guys who came down to get, tell the guard, let's bring them in, I'm sure they're not happy, they're kind of worried too. Because the Sanhedrin had a lot of power. And... Um, they wanted, these, they wanted the apostles to not be able to teach. 
On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what had, would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. So, one thing to note here is, obviously the apostles went without fighting because they didn't have to use force to bring them. So this means the apostles want to go before the Sanhedrin and the high priest and tell them how they're wrong and how they need to start to embrace Jesus Christ and the resurrection. So now they say, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. He said, Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. And hanging somebody on a tree was the most disrespectful way you could kill somebody at that time. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Now one thing about Gamaliel is he's also Paul's teacher later. So he's teaching Paul that when he is, or probably right now actually, as a Pharisee. So um, Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thedius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. How many times have we been under that? Um, so many times I've tried to run out in front of God and hit a brick wall pretty hard. Um, and realize that I'm trying to do it in my own power, not in God's. But if it, isn't, it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. That doesn't work out pretty well for most people. Just saying, when you're fighting against God. So if, if God has called you to do something, we talked about the Holy Spirit earlier, and he has said you need to go, you need to do, you need to go and you need to do. Because he's going to make it happen somehow. And it might take 40 years of your life to get there. But he's going to make it happen somehow. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and, and let them go. So flogging, remember the whips with the, with the shrapnel basically in it, pulling skin off the body, not good, not fun. Um, I read... They, did, they used to do patterns of three, two to the back, one to the front. That's why 39 was what they scourged people with, because you could do a pattern of three. So um, 
not, not beautiful. And then this is my favorite part. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So, that's the question. Are you committed to your faith enough to be scourged? Enough to talk about it? I mean, I know there's times in my life when I get into a public place and somebody says, oh, so you're a believer? And I'll go, well, yeah, kind of, sort of. You know, not really. I mean, I, I try and I defend as well as I can. But there's times I, I cower back. And there's other times I charge forward, and that's normal. But I need to be willing to stand. And, and if I lose friends, if I lose people, if I, you know, I have to remember that I, I serve a higher power than man. I serve God. And we all need to do that. We need to know, you know, your life is in the tank. Guess what? You know how my life is better? I rely on God. And sometimes it's not better. Sometimes I get scourgings. Sometimes I do things where I run out in front of God thinking I'm doing His will, and I'm not. And I run into a brick wall, and I spend a lot of money I shouldn't spend because I've been trying to fulfill something that's not really His plan, but it's my plan. And those kind of things. But we have to be willing to be rejoicing in the pain and suffering of being a Christian sometimes. And it's not fun. I mean, I went to a golf tournament last weekend in Minnesota, and my wife doesn't even go anymore because of the guys that I play with. And it's getting better as time, as the longer they know, I, now I get into the cart and I go, now everybody knows I'm an associate pastor now, right? Just to try and clean it up a little bit. And it really drives me crazy. It really does. A lot of times I find myself off away from everybody because the environment is not a healthy environment. And it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not one that is beneficial to God. It's degrading to women. It's degrading to just life in general. And it's all about money. and It's all about fame. And who's better than who? And I'm glad my wife doesn't go to that anymore. And I need to not go to that. But I don't know if I'm supposed to go there to help clean it up. I don't know. And you get ridiculed in those places. You know, people, some people actually get in your face about it. My brother, my stepbrother, from my dad, my stepdad's son, actually gets in my mom's face about being a Christian. And then I almost start to not have a Christian idea because I'm bigger than him. So that's not how you treat my mom. But, but um, you know, we need, to, we need to do that. We need to be ready to face persecution because of what we believe and believe it. And know that what we believe is true. And if you don't know if it's true, see me. I'll talk with you. I'll talk with you a lot. And share with you. And I'll try and answer the questions I can't answer. And it makes me a better Christian because I need to know the answers too. Because I still have questions. We all have questions. That's why we still have to read the Bible all the time. But just know that the Savior died for you. Okay, a little different than I had on paper today, but what's amazing is, I don't know if anybody saw me during praise, I got out my phone because all of a sudden a scripture came to me and I was trying to get it quick, 
So I wasn't texting during church, just so you, everybody, if anybody saw it. I've been accused of that before, but I'm usually on my Bible and I've got my cell phone out, so I know other people are doing that too, but it's a new technology world. But Yeah, so give it all to God, 100%. Charge after Him with everything you have, everything you believe. And your friends that aren't Christians, talk to them. Let them know the joy that you have in your life because of who you believe. And that it's not about you. And it's about God. And your life, like in the story. Our story and his story. That's what we have to remember. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you today for being here with us. Uh, Lord, I just also thank you for giving us the desire to praise you and to worship you, and to receive the gift of salvation that you gave. Lord, we know that we receive more grace than we ever deserved just because of your Son. And Lord, I just ask that you would use the Holy Spirit to convict us to go and talk to our friends and our family and those that we love that who do not know who you are. And also that you would be with us to love the people that are hard to love and the people we don't love and we don't even know that we would be willing to go and preach your word, mostly through our deeds, Lord, and through our actions. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful day that we get to be a part of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. And we're going to end with hymn 577, verses 1, 2, and 4. Please stand.
you're just checking your memory at the end there. So um, sorry about the technical problem there. So um, let's go ahead and form our circle today. Got a little time, so. All right, we're going to have to reach long and wide on this one, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a kind of circle. We'll make it happen. All right, we're good. So, joys and concerns. Anything anybody would like to share? Greg. Oh, good. Yes, Megan. My friend who runs a local would love some prayer. Um, she's only been complicated pregnancies, and I'm not sure if she's not completely convinced of God, but if you can pray for that, um, she's experienced complications, and she just would love our prayers for the baby who's next. That's the Tofels? Okay. Tofels with a baby complication. Um, yeah, we definitely need to pray for that. Right. Yes, Sue. Yes, very much so. If you haven't read the uh, prayer news or the uh, e-pastor news, there's an article or a letter from George Buani that talks about what's going on in that country. It's definitely worth the read. Um, like I said, if you're not on either, let me know and I will get you signed up for either or both. Kelly? <laughs> Kelly and Sue think alike. That's funny. <laughs> All right. Any other joys and concerns. Again, keep Debbie Harmon uh, in your prayers this evening, uh, or this today. I'm already at night, I guess, um, but uh, anything else? Okay. Okay, one more. Um, I would like to, um, I don't know if anybody knows the Cadwell family, but um, I would like to keep Forrest Cadwell in our prayers as well as our youngest sister. Forrest Cadwell has cancer? Um, and suffering with that. And I guess I, I should bring up my uh, stepfather. He also was diagnosed with cancer while I was in Minnesota. So, And one more? Anywhere? Oh, down there. Okay, really loud. So Matt's going on the Colorado trails, and you want prayer for him to be safe? Is that what you're asking for? That's awesome. How long is he going to be gone? 30 days. Woo. Wow. Wow, the whole trail. I look at the trail once in a while. <laughs> On a map. <laughs> uh, all right. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, close with our song.